Amen. That was an awesome song. I love that. There was so much truth in there. And um, if you have a Bible, and I do hope that you do, open with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we'll be looking at uh, a passage of Scripture today uh, that I believe is uh, really key to understanding and living the healthy Christian life. And so um, I know that in our day and age today, there are many articles, many uh, writings, many things that try to tell us if you do this or that, then you'll be uh, where you need to be. And if you do these things, then you'll be happy. If you do these things, then you'll have joy. If you do these things, then you'll be successful. And so what I don't want this morning is this to be that kind of a message. I don't want you to think, okay, if I do these five steps, then I'll be happy. If I do these seven steps, then I'll have joy, and then I'll be successful. That's not what this morning is about. Rather, what this morning is about, and this time that we're going to spend together, is about understanding from God's Word, what does Christ call me to as a follower of Christ, so that my joy may be full. That's really what we're talking about. It's not just these five steps or these seven steps. It's about a lifestyle of submission to Christ and understanding what that looks like in our lives. And so I want to look at a passage that is pretty familiar to most of us. If you've been around church for a minute of time, uh, pretty familiar to most of us. And we're going to walk through uh, really the first 11 verses of John 15. And then we'll kind of unpack kind of what, what led me to sharing this message this morning. Um, and again, as I shared, I was kind of preparing a whole different message uh, revolving around communion and those kind of things because we we're going to be celebrating communion this morning. Um, and then obviously when we made that decision to change that, uh, this message was actually not going to come to you guys until next week. Um, and so I had to kind of pull it out of the hopper a little quicker than I wanted to. You know, I kind of pulled it out of the oven a little quicker. And so, but God is so good. And uh, obviously he is over all of this. And he He wanted this message preached today, and so we're going to share it with us today. I will say this, too, as a little bit of a warning. Um, There's already men that are ready to go. Um, We have a one-cough limit this morning, okay? So one-cough limit. So when you cough once, (coughs) that's a cough, okay? That's clearing of the throat. We're good. One-cough limit. At the second cough, you will be encouraged to leave the auditorium. So just throwing that out there, we have a bubble room set up down the hallway, um, some disinfectants, okay, we're going to hose you down, got some Brillo pads, we'll take care of it, okay, but just so you know, one cough limit this morning, so just kidding. Uh, Actually, I have seasonal allergies. Anybody that's attended church here knows that I like, I I see the hands, amen, testify, okay, don't hold back now, we're in church. I, I, I keep Benadryl in business, okay? Like, I should really invest in stocks with Benadryl because I'd make a killing. Like, right now, in our medicine cap, I'm not kidding you, there's so much Benadryl just stockpiled, okay? You're collecting toilet paper, we're collecting Benadryl, okay? That's what we're doing. Um, I'm just kidding about that. We really don't stockpile Benadryl. But um, it's good for kids, though, when they won't go to sleep. You just slip a little. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I, we were at KFC the other day. And I was up by the fountain thing and getting some soda, you know, and, and uh, my allergies sometimes will cause me to get a little bit of a dry throat, and I'll cough a little bit, you know, and it has all kinds of weird things it does to me. But I was at KFC, and I coughed into my elbow, and this was like Friday. I think it was Friday. And uh, I coughed into my elbow, and I kind of froze for a second. And I looked around me to see, and I, there were some older people that were, like, looking at me, and I was like, I wonder what's going through their mind right now, like, Where's he going? I'm not getting soda anymore. It's done. We're leaving. Get your purse, Margaret. We're leaving. Okay? Come on. Okay? But you never think about that stuff, do you? I mean, I've coughed 
billions of times in my life. Well, Vic does, but he's a different breed, so we won't go there. So, and Brenda says, amen, okay? But I thought that was so funny. I've never thought about that. And, and all of a sudden I was like, I wonder if people are like, man, what's with this guy? Look, I'm clean. I just have allergies, okay? I'm, I'm fine. I'm clean. So, but let's, I want to look at John 15 this morning, and I want to talk about the key, really, or maybe you could say one of the keys, but I believe a, a really strong key to living a healthy and joyful Christian life as a follower of Christ. And so, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this, this is not about you. This is to those that have received personally the gift of Jesus Christ, his, his gospel, salvation. What we just sang of our, or what they sang for us, the truth that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. Our hope for eternal life is not in what you do for him. We said this last week. You don't go to heaven because you are good enough. We enter his heaven by his way, which is John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, period. You get into Paul's writings in the New Testament. It's Jesus plus nothing is salvation. And why is that? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace, if you know it, you can say it. For by grace are you saved through that not of yourselves. And why is that? Because when I get to heaven, I can't go, look, God, this is all that I did to get here. We know the verse. When you lay your good works apart from Christ before God, it's a disgusting stench. What does the Bible say? It's filthy rags. But we come prideful. Look, God, look at all that I did. And all he sees and all he senses and all he knows is our sin. Dark and disgusting. See, our good works apart from Christ aren't good works, are they? Our good works apart from Christ are still results of a sinner sinning. That's why we need Jesus to step in to give us his righteousness and to justify us by faith freely through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if you're in Christ this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, then this passage is speaking to some encouraging things for you. If you don't know Christ, then my encouragement is before you leave this place today, it's not baptism, it's not tithing, it's not going to church, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All of our good works flow out of salvation. They don't bring us salvation. John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the, vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purgeth it. Or another way he said is he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruits. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth, hear it now, much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. That's a, we're not going to camp there this morning, but let that sink in for a second. For without me... You can do nothing. Now, this doesn't mean that if somebody is gifted with a talent, that they can't use that talent for glory in this world. There are musicians, there are artists, there are athletes, okay? They're not playing right now, but there are athletes who are so gifted physically or mentally, or they've just given a gift of a talent. That's not a spiritual gift. I believe that's a gift given by God. A talent is still given to them by their creator, but there's tons of musicians who are beautifully gifted in music but are doing zero for the glory of God. 
So in our world's eyes, they're doing a lot. They're making a lot of money. They're getting a lot of accolades and winning a lot of awards. But what Jesus is saying, spiritually speaking, without me, you can do nothing. I find it very interesting. Go back, if you have time, this week or next couple weeks, go back into Genesis and look at the two lines that come out of Cain and Abel. Look at what happens there is you see one line become architects and, and, and craftsmen and musicians and all this. And then you see uh, Seth's line. Seth was given to Adam and Eve after their first son was killed. Seth's line, all you read about is that they, they seeked after, they sought after God. They had a relationship with God. One line, all this worldly glory. One line, they just sought God. They just communed with God. They had a relationship with God. And to look at that, you go, man, the, the line over here, this worldly line, man, they've got all the success and all the glory and all the praise. They're the ones really doing something. But it was really, we know, Seth's line is the line that was blessed. And so study that out. Look into that. It's amazing. Worldly glory is always quicker than spiritual success. But I will tell you this. Spiritual success is what makes eternity worth living. When you go before God, you lay before him all the things you've done for Christ. The world may have never noticed, but God knows. And so that's what he means when he says you can do nothing. He's not saying you physically can't do anything. He's saying spiritually speaking, for my glory and for my kingdom, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that we bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's pray. I know Pastor Greg already prayed for us this morning. Let's pray and ask God's word to speak into our hearts and minds this morning. Father, we come before you today hungry to hear from you. We have nothing to give, humanly speaking, but we we know that you offer to us wisdom and guidance by the inworking of your Holy Spirit. We pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they would stop trusting in their works or their efforts or their abilities and they would start trusting and believing in the, the gospel that you give unto us, that it's through your death, burial, and resurrection that we find eternal life. Lord, you said it so clearly in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, we must be born again. So I pray that we have experienced that new birth as followers of Christ. Father, bless now this time. Open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, we find some very interesting things that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. Uh, And as a church, we've looked at this passage in many different ways at many different times in various forms. We just spent um, some time on Wednesday night looking through this in a study we were doing called Follow Me. Uh, The author of that study spent some time dealing with this idea of abiding and all these things. But really what kind of brought me to this passage, it was really kind of something that's happened over the last so many years. And I find myself kind of and with great intentions. And so if you've ever said something to me like this, this is not meant to make you feel um, embarrassed or awkward. It's just really the truth of it. Uh, over the years of being in ministry, I became the senior pastor here in 2012, uh, which that's crazy to think about. It's been that long. Um, I figured you guys would have kicked me out long ago. But 
That was a joke too. But anyway, okay, so um, it's okay. We can laugh in church, right? There's nothing wrong with laughing in church. Um, so when I came in the ministry as a senior pastor, I kind of took a lot of the things I was doing in youth ministry, doing that for quite a few years, and, and really thought some of the similar uh, philosophy of ministry. And one thing that I did in youth ministry that I kind of carried over into senior ministry was um, I, I'm not a big give the do's and don'ts. Okay, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of pastor, that kind of preacher. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, when I first started attending church here, it was a do's and don'ts church. Now, some of you grew up in do's and don'ts churches, and you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I've never really been to church before. Or I don't really know what you're referring to. A do's and don'ts church is they tell you, literally, you can do these things, and you can't do these things. And often, it goes beyond the reach of Scripture. What I mean is, when I first started going to church here, I was 16 years old, not from a Christian home, a very anti-Christian home, to be honest. Lots of craziness. But when I first started on church here and I received Christ as my Savior, as a 16-year-old kid, I got hungry for Jesus and I, I soaked up everything that was being taught. And I took everything the pastor was saying, like, this is, this is everything. I got to do everything he says. Well, our pastor at the time was growing himself out of that kind of a legalistic background. But when I first started in church here, there was, you don't go to the movies, and you don't go to dances, and you don't do this, and you wear a suit to church, and you wear this, and you do that, and you don't do this, and you don't do that. And I remember going home after a few weeks of being saved thinking, I've got to change everything. Like, I can't be me anymore. Like, I've got to get rid of all this stuff. I can't wear jeans in church. I can't do that. You can't wear jeans in church. That's not allowed in church. And I had this mindset. And now remember, what I said a few minutes ago is still true. There are some things in Scripture that are clearly laid out. But by the way, outside of modesty, what you wear to church is between you and the Lord. Outside of modesty, what you wear to church is between you and the Lord. Because last time I checked, I don't think it says, thou shalt wear a double-breasted suit. I mean, I've read it a few times. I didn't see it. Okay? It, I had a friend in college that said to a professor that was kind of debating this point, said, if we really want to be biblical, we should wear robes and sandals. If we're really going to be biblical. I mean, that's what Jesus wore to church, Right? And so when you think about this, like, we hear these things a lot. And so when I came into ministry, I thought, okay, Lord, I want to give the whole counsel of your word, but I don't want to be a do's and don'ts youth ministry. I don't want to be now a do's and don'ts kind of church. Here's what I mean. The Bible lays out some very clear things. There are some do's and don'ts in the scriptures, right? Yes, there are. But ultimately, we are freed from that law because Christ fulfilled that law. And so when we have these things that God says don't do and do, therefore the be they're the best for us, right? I mean, the reason God says don't commit adultery is because when you commit adultery, lots of bad things come out of that, right? Pain and hurt and anguish and destruction. Don't sin. What, isn't that what John says in 1 John? Don't sin. I mean, you can't get too much more don't than that. But do you notice John doesn't say, don't do, and then list all these things not to do? He just simplifies it by saying what? Don't sin. And I've joked about that, but I've thought about that when I'm in counseling sessions or in different times of talking to people, and they're telling me all their stuff. I just want to be like, don't sin. That would be $75, please. Thank you. Thanks for coming today. All right? Don't sin. But see, we get so hung up sometimes on that, as even as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, we should be saying, don't sin to ourselves. And hear me now, with love and grace to others. By the way, if you know someone that's not a believer, don't start with don't sin. Start with, here's Jesus. 
And if you know someone who is in Christ that's struggling in sin, don't start with their sin. Start with, here's Jesus. You might say, oh, no, no, i got to tell them that they're sinning. That comes if there's a relationship and there's an influence there. But if we start with their sin, nine times out of ten, we're just going to go, I'm out. But if we start with Jesus, and we talk about how Jesus has set them free in his grace, then we can move into that discussion on their sin. Because you know what John says? Not in this Gospel of John, but the same John wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Same author. So this John that's saying abide in me, or in Christ rather, as, as you abide in Christ, you abide in the Word of God. The same John says, don't sin. But the very same verse in 1 John says, but if we do sin, we have an advocate, a defense with the Father. It's Jesus Christ. See, so many of us, we get hung up on the do's and don'ts. We forget that when we fall into the don'ts, he's picking us up by his grace. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is we are not a do's and don'ts kind of church. We will always give the word of God uncompromised. This is what it says. We believe in the word of God. We believe in a literal understanding of God's word. This is what it says. Don't do that. We shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. But ultimately, my job as a pastor is not to give you a list of do's and don'ts so that you check the box. Okay, pastor will be happy with me today. I did my devotion. When you approach the word of God, when you approach Christianity with a do's and don'ts mentality, you're no different than the Pharisees in Jesus' day who checked the literal box, but they missed the spirit of the law. And so as a pastor here, over the years, many people have come and said, and again, great intentions, I get it, I understand, and they'll say things like this, you know, pastor, I notice you never have preached against and fill in the blank. And usually it's something like a fad in our culture, or it's um, uh, a book, or a movie, or, or something a corporation did, um, you know, why don't you ever speak out or name names of people that you believe are false teachers? Why don't you call people out like that? I just noticed you don't do that. Now, hear me now. Again, I understand the heart of the people that have said that. I get where they're coming from. To be honest, I have done that before. There was a, a time where I've, if I feel led by God to if something's going on with a, a popular pastor or teacher or something, and I hear people saying in our church that they were listening or watching this individual, I will tend to address it in that regard, usually more of a one-on-one -on -one or small group setting. But ultimately, here's my, my calling as a pastor. I want you to fall so in love with Jesus Christ and to fall so in love with the Word of God that you will be spending time in this book where I don't have to tell you all the do's and don'ts. That as you're listening to somebody who's teaching things contrary to God's word, you're going to go, that doesn't line up. That doesn't match. That's not what this says. So I don't have to give you the list of all the people not to listen to. Now, there's some people on TV or on radio or whatever you have no business listening to because they are just complete heretics. And I pray you would use wisdom and discernment in that. But again, if I get up here and give you a list of names and I forget one, Somebody would say, well, you didn't mention this person or that person. Why'd you only pick on that person? Well, this person, that person. So rather than that, here's my philosophy of ministry. Here's how I look at ministry here. I want us to get so invested in the word of God. I want us to fall so in love with Jesus Christ and abide in him that whether I give you specifics or not, you have the spirit of God in you and you are led to make those decisions as God opens your heart and mind to those things. Now, saying that, a couple years ago, we did a series called Conversations with God. Some of you may remember this. Uh, we talked about all kinds of kind of cultural, controversial things. 
Uh, we covered a lot of ground about, you know, do people really go to hell and heaven and come back and tell us about it? We talked about that. All those, you know, the popularity of those books and movies that go on. Uh, we talked about the issue of homosexuality. We talked about many other things in relation to if we were to sit down and have a conversation with God and we were to ask him about these things, what would he tell us? And we don't have to guess because he's already told us, right? We, we know what he would say. And so we did that in 2018. We did eight weeks, an eight-week series dealing with every week a different conversation. What would God say about this? What would God say about that? If you're interested in that, you can find it online at our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, northgoodland.org. You can find it, uh, I'd say, old-school CD copy. Those are these disc things you can use to put in your car. You still can put them in your car. Um, it's like MP, but it's not. It's like your phone, but it's different. Um, it's so funny. People are like, I actually said one time to somebody about a CD, and the teenager was like, a what? I was like, oh, we need to stop right now because we are done. We are not having a conversation about what a CD is. This is like when my mom said what a 45 was. I thought she was talking about a gun or a 44 or whatever the old records. What is it, 45 or 45, okay. Are those the big ones? No, the little ones. Okay, what's the big ones? 33s and a... Okay, see, all of y'all just dated yourself. You just stop talking. Just stop talking. You're doing it. But when we see these things, like th- those sermons are all there for you to listen to. This summer... I'm praying about putting together another six or eight week series on different things, different conversations with God we can have. So I have addressed those things at times when I feel led to, but what we don't need, and we've got tons of this in our culture today, whether it's on social media or on a a Christian radio channel or radio station or a satellite channel, we don't need soapbox preachers. I don't need someone that's going to get up and just go off on a topic to get a bunch of amens and then move on. What we need are people that will drive us to the Word of God, deal with the sin issues that need to be dealt with. Yes, I'm not saying we don't talk about those things, but it has to be led by the Spirit of God because ultimately that's where we're going. So rather than preach against this or that sin fade, or fad rather, in our culture, I'd rather do this. Let's provoke one another into loving good works. Let's provoke one another into loving good works and allow God's Spirit to set us free from those things because here's the reality of it. We are free to abide. If you're taking notes this morning, we are free to abide. We want lists and do's and don'ts. That's what we desire. We want the list. How many of you are list makers at your chores or your stuff around the house? List makers. How many of you hate lists? You despise lists, okay? Now, there's two things here. How many of you are list makers, and if you don't get everything on your list done by the end of the day, it drives you crazy? Anyone like that? Okay, a few people, okay? I see that hand, Danielle. It was down here, but it was still there, okay? Okay, pointing at other people. That's good. That's always a good encouraging thing to do. Yeah, they're like that, preacher. They are horrible like that, okay? Okay, some of us don't like lists because we don't want to be tied down, right? No, I want freedom, right? If I decide to mow the grass, I'll mow the grass because I'm a man, you know, or whatever other things we do, okay? Don't tell me what to do, okay, list. But naturally, I think most people, we, there, is, there is a comfort in being told what to do, isn't there? I mean, how about this? Imagine going to work and having no idea what was expected of you at work. No expectations. No idea when the deadline was. You don't know what to do. Do I work on this, this, and this, or do I not? Well, there's no, there's no one to tell you that. We want to be, to a certain degree, we want to be told, okay, I got to do A, and then I got to do B, and then I got to do C. We want that. And I think that bleeds over into our Christian life where we want churches and pastors and whatever to give us just give me the do's and don'ts. And as long as I'm checking the do's and not doing the don'ts, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. 
But do you notice that relationship with Jesus Christ in the New Testament doesn't look like that? Now again, are there do's and don'ts? Yes, we have to go back to that. There are. But ultimately, we don't live by checking off the boxes. We live in a relationship, right? It's a relationship. I truly believe that we want everything spelled out for us in the Christian life. Just give me the list of do's and don'ts, and I won't do the don'ts. Now, if we say that to ourselves, what are we doing? We're lying to ourselves, right? The problem is that Jesus doesn't want us to live that way, just a list-driven mentality. He wants us to be, hear me now, grace-led, not law-driven. Grace-led, not law-driven. Now, this doesn't mean, again, that there are not do's and don'ts in Scripture. Of course there are, and the reality is we can't keep them. You can't keep them. You can't keep all the do's and don'ts. We find all through God's word that the ones that really wanted to keep the law and force it on others couldn't keep it themselves. Think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, constantly harassing the Lord or harassing his disciples. Hey, we noticed they didn't wash. Hey, we noticed that this. Hey, we noticed you're eating with these people. They wanted to force it on others, but Jesus turns it around and points out to them, you're not even doing this. You're not following the law. Because in your heart, you're this or that. You're just whitewashed tombs, right? Golden sepulchers. You look really, really good on the outside, but inside it's a bunch of dead, dry bones. That's the words of Jesus, right? Loving Jesus. Again, I remind you of this. Go through the Gospels. Mark all the things that Jesus says that we would call like loving, kind of mushy, okay? Not like Hallmark mushy, because that's way too mushy, but more mushy type comments. And compare it with the harsh comments of Jesus. Do you know what you're going to find? The harsh, what we would deem harsh comments, greatly outweigh the mushy ones. Does that mean he wasn't very loving? No, he was loving enough to tell us with grace and truth, this is truth. He told the Pharisees, you're, you're this type of a person. You're dead inside with the hope that they would repent and turn to him and find everlasting life. Paul tells the people that this or that is the right thing to do. Paul writes constantly, hey, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. He encourages with them to use great wisdom to do it. And also, God can give us the strength to do the things that we are called to do. But the truth is, when we struggle or fall or fail, we must realize we are led by grace. We should strive to be Christ-like. What does 1 John 2 say? Sin not. That's our goal. That's what we're in Christ. We're striving for that. But when I fall, when I fail, when I struggle, I don't keep myself beat down and feel like a less second-class believer or second-class Christian or that somehow God is mad at me and there's no hope for restoration. No, I understand his grace is for me before I fall. His grace is for me after I fall. I put my eyes back up on him. I let him pick me up and we move on. And that's what it means to be grace-led, not law-driven. So what does it mean to abide? We talk about the idea of being free to abide. What does it mean to abide? The definition of the word abide here in this passage is defined like this. To keep in fellowship with Christ so that this life, I'm sorry, his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. So how do we define abide? We define abiding as keeping in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. Fruit. It is used 11 times in John 15, 1 through 11. Once the same word is used with the English word continue, and once it's used with the English word remain. 
So the words remain and continue are the same word as abide. You see, we are kept and sealed in salvation through Jesus Christ by the gift of his Holy Spirit. But we are called to remain active in pursuing Christ, which is only possible by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. I love what John Piper says about what it means to abide. John Piper, and again, I feel like I need to say this. I don't agree with everything John Piper believes or says, but in this regard, I definitely think he hit the nail on the head. John Piper says this, Abiding in the vine means receiving and believing and trusting in the words of Jesus. Abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ, the vine and the the idea of a branch and vine, that's all the imagery that Jesus brings forth. Abiding in the vine means receiving and believing and trusting in the words of Jesus. Those three adjectives, those three words are key and huge to us. Receive, believe, and trust. Receive, believe, and trust. We must continue in those areas as a follower of Christ. We must strive to believe the words of God. And I love the line in the song that we sang, to find hope when all the world seems lost. And you guys catch that? that Right now in our world today, and not just with this virus thing, man, our world is getting pretty crazy. It's, just, it's, it's craziness. Stuff that's going on in the world today, a hundred years ago, people would say, well, that, that would never happen. I mean, just the things we're seeing, it's, it's crazy. And so what do we do? We freak out, we panic, we, oh, everything's coming to an end. I'm just going to bunker down here, okay? No, we have a hope that is greater than this world. What does Jesus say? Have confidence, have courage. I've overcome the world. Man, we have nothing to fear. If you're struggling right now with this whole idea of feeling the pressure and the confusion and the panic and the fear, you feel as though it's rising up in you, which is natural, I'm going to give you a passage to read. Romans chapter 8. If if you're here today and that's you, you're like, you're like on the brink. You're like, I don't know what to do. Romans chapter 8. Write it down and read it. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he has given you a great hope. And so when we talk about abiding in Christ, we are abiding in him. We are pursuing him. We're keeping in fellowship with him. There's a key in verse 1 in chapter 15. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2. Verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husband. Verse 2. Every branch in me. Every branch in me. This passage is for those that are in Christ. Some have suggested and believed that there's actually talk of even loss of salvation here because, well, it says that if you don't abide, you're kicked out. You're, you're taken out. You're cut away. Depends on how you look at this passage. When I see this and I read this in the context of the greater part of John, as well as the other writings of John, I don't see loss of salvation. I see a couple of things here. I see that there are those who may seem to be, a couple ways to look at this, seem to be connected to Christ, but really aren't abiding. They're not in Christ. They're not part of the vine. And so they're cut away, as John says. Later on, he says, they were with us, but they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would still be with us, but they went out from us. There are plenty of people, by the way, sitting in churches all across this country, all over this world, that think they're saved, and they're really not, because they've not trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. They look like Christians, they sound like Christians, they sit in churches like Christians, but they're not really abiding in Christ because they're not really saved. 
What does Jesus say? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you for a little while, and then you fell away, and then I knew you for a little while, and then you fell away, and then finally you fell away, and I kicked you out. He doesn't say that. He says, I never knew you. That tells me that people can pray in Jesus' name. People can do ministry in Jesus' name. People can do things in the name of Christ because the name of Christ is powerful. God will be glorified. But ultimately, that individual does not know Christ. And so here, there may be those that seem to be part of the church and really not, and they're cast away. The other way to look at this idea is that there are those who are in Christ, fully saved, fully devoted followers of Christ, but yet maybe they're struggling in a season of life and they're not abiding in that time. And the Lord Jesus may, by the work of the Holy Spirit, lift them up. The way, one of the ways you could take this idea of that they were cut away or they were kind of picked up and purged, it means they were lifted off the ground. Again, I don't believe this passage is teaching loss of salvation. I think it's saying that as a follower of Christ, I must endure to stay in fellowship with Christ so that I can produce fruit. So what's the evidence of abiding in Christ? How do I know if I'm abiding in Christ or not? So the evidence that we see in this passage of the abiding in Christ is while there aren't necessary necessarily rather warm and fuzzies, there will be other fruits or things that we can look to. So the first thing we see, if you're taking notes, is one of the evidences that we see in this passage is as an abide, someone who's abiding in Christ, you will produce fruit. You will produce fruit. We see this all through the whole passage. The fruit is, as one author said, God produced evidences of our inward relationship with Christ. The fruit we're talking about that's produced because we're abiding in Christ is God-produced evidences of our inward relationship with Jesus Christ. This also could be connected to the fruit of the Spirit we see later in the New Testament. This could also be referring to the fruit of somebody coming to know Christ through leading them to the gospel and them being saved. The fruit is any God-produced evidences of our inward relationship with Christ. Number two, you experience the Father's pruning to bear more fruits. Now, what does it mean to prune something? What does it look like to prune something? I get my shears out. I go to the plant. What do I do? I cut away some things. Okay? When you hear the word cut, what comes to your mind? Is that a, does that sound like a pleasant thing? If I was to say, hey, I'm going to cut you, would you be like, oh, yay. Please. Finally, I've been hoping all day someone would offer to cut me. No, of course not. What do we think? Pain. So could it possibly be that as a follower of Christ, abiding in Christ, you're actually keeping in fellowship with Christ. You're abiding in his word. You're praying. Could it be that God actually allows some painful thing in your life to cut away something so that you're able by God's grace to produce more fruits? It seems like that's what he's saying here. That we might actually experience pruning to bear more fruits. We will actually, by the way, enjoy the refining of God in our life because we know it will produce more fruit for his glory. We will not look at it as a negative. We'll say, God, I believe you're in this and I'm ultimately here for you. Number three, apparently from this passage, an evidence of abiding is your prayers will be answered. Your prayers will be answered. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, this is the one, the guys on TV that I won't name, but many of you have heard different examples of this. We'll camp here and spend a lot of time talking about, that's, you want that million dollars? You want that new house? You want that promotion? You want that pretty girl? You want that hot guy? Whatever it is you're looking for or dreaming of, this is how you get it. Just ask, and he'll do it. 
Because after all, God is a genie, right? I rub the magic lamp and God does. I put in the tithe and the vending machine of prayer and I get my answer. That's how it works. God, I went to church four weeks in a row. You're supposed to do this for me now because after all, you're here to serve me, right? And as we laugh at that and the silliness of the sound of that, that's how so many of us, and myself included at times, have approached our relationship with God. Like he's, God, you should just be happy I showed up today. Instead of realizing that we are wretched, broken sinners who deserve nothing but the wrath and judgment of hell, and yet he graciously says, I'll offer to you salvation if you will receive it, and then we live in submission to him as his servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, Paul says. So what is he saying here when he talks about your prayers will be answered? Well, here's the key. If I'm abiding in Christ, and if I'm abiding in his word, what's happening to me internally? What's happening to my heart? What's happening to my mind? As I'm exposed to the word of God, I'm abiding in Christ, those things are changing. And all of a sudden, my wants and my desires are becoming more like his wants and desires for me and for others. And so my prayers shift from self-centered to Christ-centered. And now he says, well, of course I'll do that for you because that's going to glorify me. See, that's the key. We can't just omit that first part. The reason he answers our prayers when we are abiding in him and in his word is because our prayers become more focused on him and his desires than our own. They're kind of like the, the anti-James 4 prayers. Right? You ask to receive it unto your own lusts. He's not going to do that. So here we see that our prayers are answered. But number four, another evidence of abiding in Christ. You experience a deepening love for Christ and for others. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue you in my Love. We deepen our love for Christ, and I believe that leads to a deeper love for others. What are the, what's the great commandments? Love the Lord your God with basically all of you, and love your as yourself. Man, how can I love my neighbor as myself when my neighbor is as crazy as they are, or they just aren't nice people? Because I know I'm fully loved by God, therefore I fully love him. Now I can love others as God would love them. It's the right perspective on how to live in a love-centered, Christ-centered relationship. You see, Jesus loves us with the exact same love his Father has for him, which is a pretty amazing thought, by the way. Like, I say things like that in church, and I wonder, God, did I even really just realize what I said? Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Jesus loves you with the exact same love the Father loves Jesus. Like, that's, that's amazing to me. I don't love me like that. There's things about me, I'm like, I was stupid. Like, you're, what are you doing? Man, God loves Jesus so much as his son. And Jesus loves us in the same way, and we can love others. Another evidence here, and this is not an exhaustive list, but just five quick things from the passage we see. Another evidence of abiding is you will experience joy. Look at verse 11 again. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be half-hearted. No, that's not what it says. Might be full. And full. Like over, over and abounding full. It's just, it's overflowing. It's like when, you know, my kids were younger, and, and I remember they would try to pour their own water. And I don't know what happens at certain ages. You just don't realize that there's a limit to how much water can go in the cup, Right? And somehow they're just not spatially aware to realize that water's getting up, 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 ah, all over the floor, all over the counter. And then they look at you, it's confused, look like, what happened? I'm, there's water in there, and how come it didn't all go in there? 
And I think about that image when I think about the love of Christ, the joy of God overflowing. It's just, it's overflowing out of us into our lives, into our relationships, into our workplaces. You see, our joy will be full when we are abiding in Christ. And one more point I want to make on this as we get ready to kind of wrap this up. Abiding is not keeping my salvation. Abiding in Christ is not keeping, not me keeping my salvation. Some may misunderstand the idea of abiding by us keeping or maintaining our salvation in Christ. Our salvation is secure in the finished work of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to turn over there real quick. You don't need to turn it for time's sake, but I'm just going to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, which had all kinds of issues. But he's encouraging them with the truth of the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That those that put their faith and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection will receive eternal life. That's the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received... So you've believed it to the point of receiving it as truth. Then he says this, and wherein you stand. So you've received it past tense and you stand in it present tense. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. Man, I am not saved in what I do for God. I am saved because I have received and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. See, our salvation is not in the abiding. The abiding is fruit of our salvation. I don't keep, oh, I hope I abide today in Christ because if I don't, I'm going to lose my salvation. That is not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what John is communicating to us in John 15. It is as a believer, as a follower of Christ, in Christ. I'm in Christ, first and foremost. Now I can abide. I can maintain fellowship with him. The key in understanding this is that he is always maintaining fellowship with you. It is us who sin and break fellowship with him. So God is in heaven. Jesus Christ is always wanting fellowship with you. He's always pursuing you. He wants you to be with him and him with you. John 14, 1 through 6, that where I am, there you may be also. It's relationship. But it's us in this sin nature, in this fallen world, that when we, even as followers of Christ, we make a sin decision, we are distancing ourselves from the fellowship of Christ. We're still saved. We're still his son and daughter, but we're distancing ourselves. He has not stopped pursuing you. It is us who has stopped pursuing him. And so what do we do? We repent. We turn back to him. We ask for forgiveness. And we ask for the joy of our salvation to be renewed in our hearts and minds. I would encourage all of you, myself included, as I was preparing this, I was thinking on this. I would encourage all of us right now to ask, are you abiding in Christ and therefore abiding in his word? See, the only way I can abide in his word is if I spend time in his word. I, I, abiding means, and what was the definition? Keeping in fellowship. I can't tell you I abide with my wife Sandra, but we only see each other twice a week. We talk once a week. Like, I'm not abiding in that relationship. I'm not keeping in fellowship. i got to put work into this thing. We just spent four weeks talking about our relationship goals in our marriage series, about what does it mean to be covenant-keeping. We talked about that. It's a relationship. And so I can't say, oh yeah, I'm abiding in Christ and in his word if the only time I open the book is on Sunday morning. That's not much of an abiding. That would not work with your, with your kids. Yeah, I, I love and abide with my children. I see them a couple times a week. 
I have a conversation with them once a week. Yep, it's great. 20 minutes, we're done. It's good. Nobody would say, oh, man, you are just over and abounding in that relationship. No. But when it comes to God's word and to our relationship with Christ, we think somehow it's different. It's not. When things seem out of control or fear is calling to you, I want to encourage you, receive, believe, and trust the word of God so that he alone is glorified. One more quote from an author, and I'm going to close in prayer. One author said this, the whole design of our not being the vine. Remember, we're the branches. He's the vine, we're the branch. What can the branch do without the vine? Nothing, and die, right? Withers, it just, it's not able to fulfill its purpose. That's the key in that passage. We're not able to live our purpose because we're disconnected from the vine. We're not getting that source from the vine, okay? But as a branch abides in the vine and keeps in fellowship with the vine, fruit will be produced. The whole design of us not being the vine, but being utterly dependent branches grafted into the vine is to give glory to God. I can't take glory in anything that God does through me in this world for his glory. It's all for his glory because it's all him doing it. And so my challenge to you this morning is, are you abiding? If you're struggling in some way, do you know Christ? And if you know Christ, are you abiding in him and abiding in his word? Because that's where we're going to find greater joy. Fruit will be produced. We're not going to be worried about the little things as much. And we're going to find our prayers being answered because they're focused on him, not on self. And so are you abiding in Christ today? And if you're not, Maybe today you would repent and say, Lord, help me to abide in you in a consistent relationship because you've done everything for me through the cross. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, then maybe this morning you would come to know him as your Savior. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? We're going to spend just a few moments as you bow right there where you are in invitation. Invitation is simply just a chance to respond to what God is doing. So as you bow there in prayer and prepare your hearts and minds for what God is doing we're going to have the praise team come and lead us in a song of invitation. As, as they come, and in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet, and we're going to give you a chance to respond to what God is doing. Maybe you want to come forward and bend a knee here at the, the front of the auditorium. Uh, we call this the altar. Maybe you want to come and bend a knee at the altar and just spend some time in prayer. Maybe you want to ask God to work in this or that situation. Maybe you feel fearful with everything going on, and you just want to come and say, God, help me to be trusting in you and to believe that your perfect love casts out all fear. There will be those in the front here, in the front row, in the center, that would love to pray with you. If there's anything that you would like to be prayed over with, we're not here to give counsel or advice. We're here to pray for you and whatever you're dealing with. And if you want to know what it means to be saved, we're here to share with you the word of God, to know what it means to receive the gospel. So whatever God is doing, maybe you would respond as he's leading. Father, I pray that we would be grace-led and not law-driven. Lord, we know that there are things in your word that you call us to, ways in which we should live, expectations that we should have for ourselves that you have for us, that we should strive to live in a Christ-like way, that nothing we would do would mar the name of Christ. We understand that. We believe that. We know that to be true. But I pray, Father, that at the heart of all of that, we're not driven with fear. We're not driven with this idea that if I don't do it, I'll lose you or lose my salvation. We're driven by the grace that you've already extended to us. And so I pray that we would make that decision today to be grace-led, not law-driven, not fear-driven, not others-driven, not worldly-driven. Whatever we need to put in there for us, Lord, may we respond to you as we spend some time just with this invitation this morning. Father, we ask that you'd be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to have a
a song of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray, please come and pray as an individual, as a couple, family, whatever. Maybe you come and play, pray and just ask God to be in your situation, whatever you're going through. Others in the front will pray with you. But just respond to him this morning as we sing.